I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It is said that there are nine arts. And what if video games is the 10th? I'm Charles Adam Foster Simard from Ubisoft. You're listening to The Tenth Art, a podcast series about the place of video games in entertainment, culture, and society. Video games are often places for fantasy. Shooting bad guys, traversing beautiful landscapes, traveling to distant planets, or exploring dangerous dungeons. But to create that engagement with players and the feeling of immersion that we're all chasing when we play, authenticity plays a big part. Authentic weapons and gunplay in a shooter. Authentic characters and dialogue. Authentic cars in a racing game. Authentic worlds to dive into. So, how do development teams ensure that they nail authenticity? What exactly do players expect in terms of authenticity and even realism in the games they play? And how do games walk the line between authenticity and fun? To discuss these questions, today on the show, we invited Thierry Noel, who's Senior Manager, Inspirational Content at Ubisoft, and Dr. Jacqueline Burgess, Lecturer in International Business at the University of the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Hello, Thierry, and hello, Jacqueline. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hi, Charles. It's a pleasure to have you, Thierry. You're with us in studio here uh, in Paris. And Jacqueline, you're uh, joining us remotely from your office in Australia. That would be correct. Just to fit into all of the Australian stereotypes, I'm located on the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love the name of your university. Um, so I want to give you just a chance to yeah, briefly introduce yourselves. Uh, so we can start with you, Jacqueline, if you want. Yeah. Hey, so I'm Dr. Jacqueline Burgess. I teach and research at a university. So I teach marketing, international marketing, brand management, and research the marketing of narratives, often video games, but also other things like film series, book series. But also I am looking at what are the marketing skills of the people who create these kind of creative artifacts. So it's the marketing of the creative artifacts, but also the marketing skills of the people behind them. Really interesting area of research and, and totally new to me. So it's very exciting to get the chance to talk to you. Um, and Thierry, you're part of a team at HQ that supports a lot of development teams around the world at Ubisoft, right? Exactly. We, we are formerly known as the Research Unit, and we now have a new name, which is uh, GSI Humanities and Inspiration, GSI for uh, Global Strategic Insights. And uh, well, our goal, as you said, is, uh, is to, to support the team uh, in their research, especially in the fields of uh, history, geography, uh, all kind of elements that could provide authenticity and immersion to the games. I think... Many people maybe don't realize that we have this support team at Ubisoft uh, doing all of this really important work and, uh, and supporting our development teams with that research. So it's very interesting. 
So our topic today is, you know, authenticity, and we want to take this topic very broadly. So maybe I just wanted to begin by asking both of you, how do you define the concept of authenticity, specifically in video games and maybe a little bit more broadly in entertainment? But what does that term and that concept mean to you? Um, Thierry, if you want to start. Well, I think Jacqueline has a lot to say. Uh, will be much more, uh, I would say, how to say, subtle and uh, a deeper <laughs> explanation of it. But the fact is, we we also have our own uh, conception of uh, authenticity. In our case, uh, we we perceive it as a, a perception of accuracy, even if it's not exactly accurate. Element that can provide a, a much more immersive experience uh, to to the players, and when you know our fields uh, when dealing with us, especially about the uh, history in a broad meaning, uh, in a broad sense of history. Yeah. And what about you, Jacqueline? I really like that point about how it's the perception of accuracy, since I think you really need to differentiate between what is authentic and what is actually accurate, because they sound the same and they're very easy to conflate, but they actually can mean very different things. You know, accuracy is, is fact, right? And authenticity, though, is more about the, the feeling. Maybe it's not necessarily strictly accurate, but it kind of captures the flavour or the, the tone or the mood or the atmosphere of, say, in a historically-based video game in the historical um, setting. I, I really like that you mentioned how broad authenticity is. Uh, when we look at it from a research perspective, we would actually break authenticity into three different types of authenticity. So we would have historical authenticity, so is something accurate, authentic to the historical time period? So is this, you know, a Picasso painting? For example, hmm. it is or it isn't. It's pretty easy to say yes or no. There's a criteria. But we would also have categorical authenticity, which I think is what we've just talked about, where it's all about the perceptions. It's not a strict black and white yes or no criteria. It's about your perceptions of being authentic. So to take the Picasso painting, Picasso is very well known for his, you know, cubist kind of um artwork, right? But he also did um, landscapes and he did much more realistic portraits as well. So people might not think that is an authentic Picasso, even though, you know, it is it is a Picasso. Uh, and then finally, we also have what we call conformity authenticity or values authenticity. And that's about the motivations of the person behind it. If say someone was motivated very much, you know, for money. So think again, the Picasso, a great artist, very widely regarded and respected for obvious reasons. But let's say if someone found out that Picasso did some of his most famous works purely to be motivated for the money, for the paycheck, and obviously I'm not saying that, but if someone found out that or thought they found out that, that might influence or impact on their feelings of the authenticity of his work and of his paintings. So, you know, authenticity is that broad. We can indeed split it into multiple different ways, which all have very different meanings depending on what you're looking at and what you mean by authenticity. That's fascinating because that's exactly what we, we aim at. We're aiming at, as you say, all the, the different aspects of uh, authenticity. And in all cases, uh, knowing that what we are doing is a work of reconstruction uh, we, and, and trying to find all the sources, all the elements to reconstruct everything from uh, details and material details to uh, more uh, non-material aspects, uh, as we say, uh, dynamics, uh, values, uh, that kind of, of things which are sometimes difficult to, to represent. 
Well, Thierry, since we have you here, I'd like to ask you to explain a little bit what your work entails concretely. So can you give some examples of some games you've worked on and um, you know, some material that your team has, has collected or done research on to, to help bring a game to life and, as you say, you know, reconstruct uh, either a place or a historical period, uh, be it as it may, to, 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 to make it feel authentic? Well, uh, I've been working at Ubisoft uh, since five years now, uh, or a bit more, <laughs> a bit more than five years. I've been working on uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands, which took place in uh, in Bolivia, on uh, uh, Far Cry 6, took place in uh, a fantasy island. Uh, I will say in uh, in Yara, a fantasy island of the Caribbean, uh, of uh, modern day Caribbean, and I've been working in uh, AC Valhalla and. Uh, all its uh, expansions. So a focus on the Viking Age, uh, especially in uh, Anglo-Saxon England. Mm-hmm. And basically, our job is to, to support the team providing all kinds of elements they would need, uh, which range from the, the slightest detail to, to much Broader, uh, broader elements of comprehension of the, of uh, interpretation of the periods. Uh, we we work on everything. We try also to to find what the teams have not done because they, they're doing a lot of research, but they can't see everything. So, so we can also to shed light on uh, on things they, they would have missed. Uh, a good example, typically for me, of what we do. I like this one. We we work on. Many things I, I I like to think that we provide uh, many information, but for example in Valhalla, uh, the, uh, AC Games need uh, elevation. Uh, the teams wanted some sort of castle which did not exist they at, need uh, at the time. And exactly and to jump off. Of, right? Ex- exactly, is that the point of uh, of AC? <laughs> a major point of AC is to climb and to to observe. And so so we we talked uh, talked to them about all the Roman vestige because something many people ignore. But uh, that mm-hmm. yes, there's a huge Roman legacy in Anglo-Saxon England, and there was at that time huge Roman legacy from the Hadrian Wall, of course, at, uh, in the north, but also many elements that. With, uh, with London itself. Yeah. So we, we told them that, yes, you can use uh, many ro- Roman u- ruins to, to mm-hmm. have elevation. And, well, this was, this was a good substitute for, uh, for, for elevation uh, and, uh, when you don't have castle. And it was rather accurate, historically speaking. So you bring them inspiration in the large sense uh, and, and to create something authentic, but you also sometimes help them solve problems, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's a nice part of the, of the job, also to solve small details problems. Jacqueline brought up this, this concept of the categorical authenticity. And I'm going to reuse your example, Jacqueline, because you mentioned a Picasso, what we imagine as a kind of classic, as it were, Picasso painting, is not everything that Picasso produced, right? He also produced some paintings that were more realist, for example. So do we have that issue sometimes in video games where um, maybe the expectation of the audience is for a certain representation of, you know, a historical period or a place or even a character versus the, the real facts of that place or that person? Um, do those sometimes not quite line up and you have to change either surprise a character or or change the representation in order to fit uh, the expectations and and not uh, and not pull the player out it's all about the expectations right and how far can you push a player or a consumer's expectations because mm. part of the reason why 
people, just people in general, not even necessarily video game players, but why people love historical fiction or, you know, like true crime, for example. It's about, you know, the verisimilitude, the suspension of disbelief. You don't have to suspend, you don't have to imagine because you know it it happened. And it's about then trying to sometimes put yourself or put the reader in the perspective of these people. It's about then the reader almost getting to know more about themselves, more about the, the world they live in, because these experiences that they're reading about or listening about or, or playing through actually happened. Hmm. So you don't necessarily want to fiddle things too much to that degree because then it starts to lose some of that magic and some of the the benefit that comes from that historical realistic fiction because all it takes is a quick google search on their phone while they've got the game menu paused and then the whole kind of thing starts crashing down Mm -hmm. on the other hand it's a game it needs to be fun and that is where uh, in video games we also talk about something called selective authenticity and that's about very careful foregrounding of what you want to keep accurate and what you want to say jettison so i think a great example of that for assassin's creed was black flag the ship to ship combat is not you know too bad from a historical perspective it's just say really 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 sped up right which if you kept it really accurate it's not going to be a lot of fun right and do people particularly matter if the ship combat is a bit sped up? Probably not. If a major character, though, is acting completely contradictory to the historical record that we know of, maybe that's then going to have some issues for them. Sometimes the joy of historical fiction is actually having some of your assumptions sort of shattered. So Assassin's Creed Odyssey. For example, just general of ancient Greece, we think of ancient Greek statues as being these perfect white marble things, but they were actually heavily decorated and heavily painted, and it's just the paints worn away over time. That's a lovely little foregrounding Mm. that could have thrown people off because it doesn't look like what they expect, but it's actually also a really great almost, you know, learning or moment or I suppose, you know, trivia moment as well to, to win a trivia game down the local pub as well and also, you know, gives that little touch to the player that the world they're, you know, going through has been very carefully created and carefully foregrounded mm-hmm. and helps them build that trust and get those benefits in those areas. So it's always this tricky balancing act without going, you know, too far one way or the other, because then you you do lose people. It doesn't matter kind of what fiction it is, you lose people if you do push it too far. Thierry, does that speak to you, this, you know, balancing act between foregrounding certain things and then adjusting certain things for the for the element of play and fun? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think one, one does not imagine the, all the talks about every details that, that we need to have. And uh, as Jacqueline said, for, for, for many aspects to maintain fun, uh, for te- uh, sometimes for technological uh, issues mm. too, uh, there's plenty of elements that, uh, uh, that we need to take into account to, to make the right decision. How should we represent something, uh, which might be uh, uh, from a building to people to, to a conversation? too and, uh, and values of a period how 
can we do it respecting expectations and at the same time trying to aim uh, at accuracy and uh, obviously the example of, uh, of uh, ship navy battles uh, is excellent it's the same for uh, riding horses mm. I mean one would not uh, spend three days riding a horse uh, until north of Greece <laughs> in a game <laughs> it will be a great but possibly boring but uh, but in other cases yes we do have to take decisions and we're thinking about the, the cathedral of uh, of Notre Dame yeah that we we've put the flesh of yes. the Olympic, which only came later <laughs> after the French Revolution but people were definitely expecting it right because the building almost doesn't look like itself without the spire right it looks, exactly it looks strange the, the spire makes it all so yeah. so we we decided we finally decided to include it even if we knew it was not in the in the, the mm. cathedral the most. so yes there's plenty of talks about it I'm pulling this from memory, but I think there was a developer on Assassin's Creed Origins, which is set in ancient Egypt, that was saying he had like a 30-second rule, right? Like if, if it took more than 30 seconds to Google and find the right answer for a fact, then he thought it was a safe space to kind of operate in, right? If you have to dig a little bit more in Wikipedia to get the right info, then you're like on that safe side of being accurate enough, but you can kind of play around with some some things. Um, Jacqueline, you were talking about expectations also of the audience, and I know you've written about this, the fact that maybe some players think that they want more authenticity than they actually enjoy when they're playing the game. Can you say a little bit about that? Because I thought it was a really interesting uh, concept. Yeah, it always goes back to that, that balancing act, because we know that people who are consuming, you know, historical fiction they they want the accuracy, they want the facts, they enjoy the learning experiences. You know, we know that with people who read historical novels as well, right? But particularly with, say, a video game where you also have, you know, the mechanics and the gameplay and it's just got to be fun. Mm. Sticking too slavishly to that then can sort of start to strip a little bit of the fun away. Um, Kingdom Come, Deliverance, for example, that game when it first released at least did have some criticism that, you know, maybe it's almost too accurate with the mechanics. Maybe the accuracy is getting a little bit in the way of the mechanics or at least, you know, some people thought that. Of course, it's now releasing lots of DLC, so apparently it was all good. But it, it's definitely then a consideration. When when is it just not fun anymore? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's a game. It's got to be fun. It's it's not a docu- documentary. You know, the conversation is making me think a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2, which, of course, was a big blockbuster game that came out a few years ago, um, set in this kind of uh, Wild West. And, um, you know, I think that game has sparked a lot of debate because they're kind of towing that line of of realism and authenticity, especially in the animations. Like, there's so many things that are very slow. Uh, Thierry, you were talking about riding your horse through a, an open world, right? There's not a lot of fast travel. Um, a lot of the animations are slow, like opening, just like opening drawers and hunting animals and skinning animals. There's like a lot of things that are repetitive. Um, and yet, a lot of players are into that. They find themselves kind of mesmerized and they say that this adds to the sense that they're really involved in the world and they they get that sense of engagement that we're all looking for when we're playing games. So yeah, do you have examples of of other games maybe that have kind of pushed pushed that envelope of of hyper realism or hyper authenticity? I have one <laughs> that I like particularly. <laughs> to me it's extreme authenticity called uh, Dead in Vinland. 
and uh, about uh, f- first colonists, Viking colonists in Vinland, uh, mm. so supposedly in the in America, in yeah. uh, Northern America, and yeah, you're supposed to to survive, and uh, it's it's nearly impossible to spend the night. <laughs> it's it's really extreme. As it would have been <laughs> yeah. back in the back exactly. in those days. Exactly, but finding wood, uh, starting a fat, uh, fire, everything becomes very very complicated. Mm. It's super nice example. I mean, the, the message is very strong about what is to survive and about how it was extreme mm. I mean, to, to go to, to such places at, at that moment. But uh, I, I can understand, from, on the other hand, that it might, the, the fun might be limited. Sure. It's all about understanding, you know, your target market. So, you know, that's why I come from the marketing perspective. Who are your core target market? Who are your core players? What do they actually want? So we see... In a similar example, some people say, you know, the Souls games, they're just, they're too hard. Some people say, I can't play it. But that's the audience. They like the challenge. They like the hardness, you know. So who are your actual players? Are you targeting a mass kind of player market? Do you have someone much more specific in mind? What are their values? How much time do they have on their hand? What kind of other games do they play? All of that is also going to influence how you foreground the authenticity versus the accuracy and how that comes into play with the mechanics and so on. Well, I know that you, you're really interested, yeah, as you said, in marketing. And so can you talk a little bit about how authenticity plays in um, like development of IPs and franchises as well? It's, yeah, it's really interesting because we, we, we think about authenticity a lot in terms of, you know, historical and fact and whatever. But, you know, almost almost anything can be authentic or not authentic. And mm. that includes, you know, brands, not even just video games. But let's say, you know, video games, you know, let's say you've had a video game and it's, you know, on its fourth or fifth iteration or sequel or whatever, and it's maybe dropped some mechanics or dropped some gameplay features or maybe even just dropped some characters that have been there present in say all of the last four five six whatever iterations is that going to feel like an accurate game you know I remember when the Sims 4 first came out you know there weren't toddlers there weren't repo men you know there weren't burglars there wasn't the absolutely terrifying burglar music from the Sims 2 which made us all absolutely traumatized (laughs) as kids playing it seriously if that music still plays I still get the flight or fright instinct I'm just like like Seriously, Sims 2 players know what I'm on about. It was hardcore. But people wanted it. Didn't feel like an authentic Sims game when The Sims 4 first came out and didn't have those features. You couldn't drown Sims in pools anymore. What were, what were <sighs> they thinking? Isn't that like hard? Is it still a like? Sims game if you can't drown your character in the pool? <laughs> I know, right? Or, you know, not have the guy come and take all your stuff because you didn't pay your bills because you totally forgot, not because you were totally broke. Sure, that's my story. But so definitely things can just not feel, you know, authentic to to what came before. So it's definitely applicable to IP as well and not even just in the game space. Well, I'm thinking of Star Wars as you're talking because I'm watching Andor, uh, which which I'm really enjoying on uh, Disney Plus. And, uh, you know... I, I was kind of, at the beginning, I was kind of like, do I need this series in my life? And then I started watching and I was like, absolutely, this is amazing. And there's a lot of um, discussion in the community that I'm seeing, for example, on Reddit about 
you know, is this Star Wars? Is this not Star Wars? The, the Star Wars people, of course, are saying that Star Wars is a big enough universe that you can kind of fit all kinds of different stories in it. But, you know, there are no stormtroopers. Uh, TIE fighters appear. I've watched just a few episodes. TIE fighters appear in, like, the corner of a screen in one scene, you know. So it doesn't have the usual kind of Star Wars elements that you would expect. And yet it still feels legitimate to the Star Wars, in my opinion, to the Star Wars universe, because it's it's kind of showing the behind the scenes of the bureaucracy of the Empire and, and, and the birth of the Rebellion and so forth. But um, yeah, these conversations, I think, are happening in a lot of different franchises as these IPs are expanding across media, uh, as we're seeing a, a ton of different new games and series and, and, and uh, movies coming out. Right? I've got to say, I really thought you were going towards Last Jedi when you mentioned Star Wars. <laughs> really got to say that. I was not expecting um, Andor. Uh, got to say, it does have Coruscant, you know, that's, that's yeah, exactly. Star Wars-y. There's, I, there is a Coruscant. Also, it's, you know, Cassie and Andor from Rogue One. Of course, we needed this series. I totally agree. Cassian Andor is enough to justify the existence of it. 100%. 100%. We needed more Diego Luna in our, in our lives. When I think about authenticity in games, of course, there's historical authenticity, which we've talked a lot about. And, you know, Ubisoft, we think a lot about it with Assassin's Creed. I think there's like a... Um, authenticity in terms of, of gunplay and, and gameplay, which I know, Thierry, is less of your specialty, but I know we have teams at Ubisoft that, you know, collaborate with um, with uh, military uh, personnel or ex-military or, or even um, uh, firearm companies in order to, to really authentically represent those arms in some of our shooter games. I think about authenticity in terms of place, like Watch Dogs Legion, the representation of London. Um, of course, a lot of games are set kind of everywhere in the world, so we want to show those places accurately. But I think there's also authenticity that goes beyond the like physical objects, right? There's because you talk about language, it makes me think about authenticity in terms of of cultures, of of thought, how people thought, how people reacted to things. Do, do you work in that area at all? To me, the the main challenge, uh, perhaps the most difficult, and the, the nicest thing is to to recreate non-material culture. Mm. How's people? How people interact? How they thought? How they reacted? To, to elements, uh, representation in societies, and, uh, misconception, biases, discrimination in society, representing a society, how it worked, its values, its and its nicest and darkest aspect. Yes, this is certain. It's, it's perhaps the most rewarding when you, you make people feel that you're bringing them to a different time, different period, in periods that people thought differently and lived differently. And how do you do that? How do you how do you create? You know, what are the mechanisms by which you're able to recreate those? For example, how people thought or dialogues are a good example. Uh, every interaction, building characters, it's especially uh, through people. But you send many messages. Uh, you can send many messages, including through architecture, through the way to organize a city, to to have people interacting. I think we 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 usually do. It's not corporate to say so. Uh, quite a good job in uh, city life and urban life and daily life. It's all the small thing you see when you're playing the game, and which are all around you. And perhaps you don't really know it, but which give you information about the the period you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, good example, of course, uh, Paris in the during the French Revolution in uh, in Unity. Jacqueline and Thierry, do you have any other examples of 
forms of entertainment, you know, it can be specific novels or TV shows or, or movies or games that do an interesting job, according to you, in this space of authenticity and realism. I always like to talk about a cute little city builder called Pharaoh from like 22 years ago and now. Partially, oh, yeah, I remember that game. So good, right? Partially because I do love my ancient Egypt, but, you know, we're talking, it's a city builder, right? And it was made 22 years ago. It's pretty simple. I think the entire game's like 500 MB or something. So there's not a lot of resources packed into that thing. And yet it actually gives you a relatively speaking, again, for the, for the genre and the year it was made, a relatively authentic slash accurate portrayal of, you know, Egypt. I love the little details that they, where we know it, they put the Egyptian name first. So not mm. Memphis, Mennefer. Which, you know, that's a that's a nice little nod. You also, as you continue to build cities, you do very roughly follow ancient Egypt's history. And when you finally sort of jump away from history and, you know, ta-da, suddenly you're pharaoh, that is actually a point in the Middle Kingdom where there's some evidence there could have been a usurpation. It's pretty fragmented, fragmented, we don't know for sure, but that is not an accident that it's that point that it starts to diverge and have you become the pharaoh. So I love, there's lots of ways that games and kind of any sort of entertainment media can use authenticity, can use history, can use facts and do it in a really creative, innovative, interesting sort of way. So I think there's authenticity in a lot of places. You know, if you if you look carefully or if the creator has been careful with some of their intentions. Yeah, I was going to say, if the creators kind of did the work, as Thierry was saying, right, they, they can they can plan those things in at the right moments or in the right ways to, to create those, those glimmering moments of authenticity. Exactly. Thierry, do you have any examples you'd like to bring up? I like when authenticity appears where, where you're not expecting it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was recently, uh, I came back to play to, to Bioshock, the Bioshock series. Yeah. I like the idea that you have a, a, a totally fictional city and fictional world, but which supposedly takes place in, uh, in 1960, referring to things about the, the 40s, uh, two elements of the 40s, and how the recreator. Yes, what would have been that kind of uh, dream city uh, and nightmare city, <laughs> finally nightmare city of the period with all those small elements which make, make it feel authentic. I mean, you, you can feel the 40s until the 60s all around with the technology you handle, with all the things you see. Uh, when And you can feel it when it's absolutely fictional. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. so that's a really nice job. I think it's really great when you're... you're really in a, in a purely fictional part and you managed to bring your authenticity in it. It's attached to certain references from our history or, or the, the real world, but uh, to, it, makes it, it makes something that's fantastical or fictional feel more authentic. Exactly. That's the same with uh, Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein do, does not pretend to, to be a documentary about the, the years, <laughs> clearly. But uh, actually, it, uh, it refer, you can see the Third Reich kind of art and technology, mm. how it could have evolved, obviously, in a fictional way. But yes, it's interesting. If you, if you read the small articles uh, in, uh, of newspapers, uh, it's pretty accurate in the way uh, a world uh, where the search would have unfortunately uh, won, how it would have evolved its relation with uh, its allies, uh, Japan, Italy or something. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact is, it's really great. It's a really great job of authenticity in a purely fictional world. 
I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. Uh, I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. Uh, I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I have a last question for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I have a last question for for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I have a last question for both of you, which is kind of a broader question about the responsibility that that creators have. I 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.